Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 15. Just a reminder, with the holidays coming up, to order my books today from Amazon or Bear Manor Media. I just also want to announce up front to become a Patreon of Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help. Be a nice Christmas present for me and would help me to continue to do this podcast. Today's guest made a major discovery in legendary animation director Chuck Jones's Vaults, a comic strip that was faithfully produced in the book Chuck Jones, The Dream That Never Was. He is also heading up the complete reprinting of Lynn Johnston's popular comic strip, For Better or For Worse, and he works on various other projects for the Library of American Comics. Here he is, Curtis Finley. All right, on the phone I have Curtis Finley. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, thanks. How are you today? Good. Um, just wanted to know, uh, I know you work on books for the Library of American Comics, but uh, how, did you, how did you get interested in all this? Well, there I have um, two main areas of interest. Well, I have lots of pop culture interests, but I love classic um, cartoons. Like, I'm talking old Disney from the 40s and, you know, the, the classic Warner Brothers shorts, Fleischer cartoons, all of this kind of stuff, right? I love these cartoons. Right. And I also love old comic strips. I've been a fan of comic strips since I was a kid. Those were the ones that I always took up from the library when I was a kid. Um, of course, like Calvin and Hobbes and stuff, but they also had old Dick Tracy reprints and, and that kind of stuff, and I loved them. And and so I have been looking, I was looking for a project to kind of um, get my foot in the door in the, just in the animation world and like the, among the historians, and I wanted to kind of do something, kind of like what you do with all of your books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know what to do, what subject to do. I, I didn't want to just, you know, write another book on Walt Disney, like, who needs another one of those? Right. <laughs> um, exactly, and then you've got the cornered market on, like, Harvey, and, and so, like, there's, there's um, I, I needed something specific, so I happened to stumble upon a little entry on Chuck Jones's Wikipedia page that said that he had a comic strip that he did for a period of time uh, called Crawford, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea. Um, and I'd even read both of Chuck Jones's autobiographies, and he doesn't mention it at all, mm-hmm. in there at all. So um, so what is this comic strip? And I, so I started doing some research and finding out about it and contacting um, Chuck Jones's daughter and, and his estate and, um, and, and eventually found out that, yeah, the estate has these comic strips in their archives, but they don't know what it is either. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this is perfect. This is what I'm going to devote my time and effort to. So I found out as much as I could. I contacted like the Chicago Tribune who originally syndicated the strip and found out that Chuck Jones only did this strip for not even six months um, in 1976. Right. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> it was fascinating. Like he, he's so prolific in everything he does why was this so short-lived? Why did it not last? 
um, was it his fault or was it the, the syndicate's fault or you know what like why didn't it go anywhere mm-hmm. um, so I put together a book proposal and pushed, um, pitched it around and uh, the Library of American Comics who I'd been big fans of for a long time um, buying up all of their you know their Terry and the Pirates and, and Dick Crazy books and stuff um, they liked the, the idea of publishing never before seen Chuck Jones artwork so we made a deal and uh, and I put together this book okay it's called Chuck, Chuck Jones The Dream That Never Was right. and if you if you if you see it there's the entire uh, we put the entire six months worth of comic strips in there most of it's shot from the original art and the few strips that we couldn't find the original art for are taken from either newspaper tear sheets or in uh, some desperate um, instances it's microfilm um, which you know doesn't the quality is definitely not as good there but it's better to have that than nothing right and there's also a plethora of thumbnail sketches and uh, concept art and the best part about it is that as I was um, as I was looking and doing the research for this comic strip I found out that Chuck Jones had all had actually been trying to make a cartoon series about Crawford for a long time um, starting back when he when he was still with uh, um, when he was still with Warner Brothers it's a 27 year story and uh, so do you know um, I'm sure you know the Adventures of Roadrunner yes uh, TV the pilot that came out um, Chuck Jones had great plans for that show and one of the plans a uh, part of the plans was to uh, include a, a kid next door to the two boys Ralph Phillips and his friend Arnold right. um, which they never that's another thing I found out in my research is that that kid in that cartoon Ralph Phillips friend has a name his name is Arnold but the kid next door was going to be Crawford <laughs> oh okay uh, and, yeah that's where it started and then when he was fired from Warner Brothers he went over to MGM and of course that concept never took hold so he still kept this character of Crawford and started to develop a TV series all about Crawford mm-hmm. um, for for MGM and had this huge plan and I found so many notes and concept art and sketches uh, surrounding this unproduced TV series that he was going to and I write all about it in the book and um, and then that never went anywhere um, because eventually he uh, he moved on to other things as well, doing his own stuff at Tower Twelve, and, uh, and 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 then he did this comic strip for six six months in 1976. And um, I talked to his editor of the comic strip and the newspaper syndicate and a bunch of people. No one really remembers why it failed. Uh, of course, Chuck himself is not around for me to ask, so that probably going to remain a mystery but uh, <laughs> if I can be perfectly honest the comic strip was not that great <laughs> so it's probably he didn't have the time or energy to fully devote because you know he was running his own animation studio right yeah and um, and and so that's kind of the story there that and and I'm super proud of this book it's really I, I just love all of the artwork we were able to pack in it's um it's almost 300 pages. There's a complete storyboard sequence of a, of a Crawford cartoon that was never made um, in Chuck Jones's very distinct um, timing and uh, style, so that's quite enjoyable. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot in there. So I encourage people who are interested in learning more about this unknown part of Chuck Jones's career, the part that he was so ashamed of that he never wrote about it in both of his autobiographies, <laughs> uh, pick up this book, <laughs> Chuck Jones, The Dream That Never Was. Well, I, I will tell you, I do have the book. It's sitting right next to me. Uh, I read it a while back, so I don't even remember. Uh, but I do remember what you just said, it, that it wasn't mentioned in the autobiographies. So uh, it was a, a new revelation to me as well, even though I've been a longtime animation fan. Uh, the question I had, and I don't remember, I read it back when I got it, because this has come out a couple years ago at least. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 2011. Okay more than a couple years uh, <laughs> anyway uh, did, did he draw the strip shortly before he published it or is this something he drew a long period of time ago and then oh well let's see if I can syndicate it now because I have a time to do it no, he didn't draw it a long time before. He drew it um, kind of just as he was okay. developing it for um, the newspaper syndicate. So um, I mentioned this in the book that he became friends with one of the editors uh, in the newspaper and uh, formed a relationship. And so the newspaper editor gave him the opportunity to say, hey, would you want to try a comic strip? And so he, he jumped at it. And that's when he decided to take Crawford and his friend Morgan, two characters that he'd been using before, for uh, the comic strip. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, some of the strips have dates. It, the, the strip started in January of 76, I think it is, and, um, and a few of the strips have little dates that indicate that it was probably uh, originally slated to start in November, but then they pushed it back, so... Um, Oh, sorry, I'm saying the wrong date. I don't mean 76. I mean 78. 1978. Okay. I was going to ask you about that because uh, I have the back cover in front of me. It says 78. I was going to say, you're saying 76. The book says 78, which is correct. No, yeah. Okay, 78. Okay. All right. All right. 78. Yeah, I, um, that's my, my mistake there. But, yes, yeah, so some of them have um, uh, the, the 77 start date. But then he, so he wasn't doing that for, uh, for very long before they started syndicating it. So he didn't have a backlog or anything like that. Okay. It was uh, he was kind of doing it as he as he could, okay. as he went along. And my guess is that he got a little too busy, right? Um, well, and that maybe the readership wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just curious because you know some some comic strip people shop the same strip for years and years and years, you know, before they get a hit with it yeah. or something like that. But that's kind of rare, too. Usually they'll, they'll revise or update it. They figure if it's not going to work. Um, in the case of this, you, you know, you said something interesting also, is that uh, now Chuck Jones, I know, was involved with MGM and Tower 12 and everything, so he probably didn't have a, the option or opportunity to say, hey, let's make a, a little cartoon about Crawford here. But um, by the time this appeared as a strip, he was doing those TV specials like Ricky Tiki Tavi and Mowgli Brothers and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Why what, Why couldn't he kind of wrestle control of his own studio and just say, we're doing this half-hour special at Crawford and, and that's it? Why, why wasn't even even made for that? Well, I, I think that um, probably network MGM Network had a lot to do with that. Okay. Um, I mean, this is just conjecture on my part because I'm not perfectly sure but he uh, he developed the whole this whole this whole TV series um, he was in the works and uh, MGM just didn't bite they wouldn't put the bill or they wouldn't air it or whatever because 
Mm. Did his deal with Tower 12 was kind of with MGM. He didn't really work with anybody else. Right. Um, and, and as I was looking through, because I got the opportunity to go down and root through the archives down in California um, to do research for this book, and there are boxes and boxes of all of these unmade shows that Chuck Jones uh, tried to develop while he was at MGM. And I put, a, I put some of the, the artwork uh, for some of them in this book mm-hmm. and you say you have it right beside you so let me see if I can find um, a page for you to, to look at okay because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's this one I put a picture of some dogs and what is that one called um, well while you're looking at that I will say this is a very handsomely laid out book and uh, even if you're not the biggest fan of Chuck Jones. If you're just a fan of newspaper strips or of animation in general, you know it's it's a it's a uh, a nice uh, smart looking book here. You know, so it's very well laid yeah. out and you know nice scans. I, you, you talked about a couple here being kind of from microfilm, but I haven't flipped any, to any of them yet. So overall, it looks really good. So yeah. Um so a microfilm example is, let me see if I can find one of those as well. Um, yeah, there's only like maybe three or four. Um, and yeah, they're not that many. But if you go, yeah, if you go to page, um, uh, sorry, I'm going to jump back to talking about the unproduced shows. If you go to page 26 and 27, okay, there's a show called The Unscratchables which is, of course, a, a take on the untouchables, and it's a dog. It's a couple of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, there's that. And um, in, in, on page 26, I mentioned a couple of other unproduced shows. Uh, there was going to be a... He was working on a droopy TV series, hmm. um, uh, or maybe it was just a, a short called Trooper Droop, which he has the... Uh, the full, there's a full storyboard in his archive on, of the, an unmade Droopy cartoon that he was going to do. Um, the Dr. Seuss, another Dr. Seuss adaptation uh, based on the really obscure Dr. Seuss book called The Seven Lady Godivas. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a Chronicle of Narnia animated series. Uh, hmm. There was just a whole bunch of stuff that he was working on that never saw the light of day. Wow. <laughs> So going back yeah. on the Unscratchables, um, it almost looks like uh, the dog father for De Patty Freeling. So I don't know if he was <laughs> snooping around over there and say, "Hey, there's an idea." If I kind of uh, twist it around a little bit, maybe I can do this. I don't know. <laughs> um, or maybe it was a, a coincidence, and De Patty Freeling got to it first, and they're like, "He's like, oh no, we can't do that now." Yeah, <laughs> so that is a possibility. Um, did, did you yeah. interview anybody for this book, or was everybody kind of clueless about this, so there's nothing really to say other than the files themselves? Yeah, that was the hard part, because um, even the people I did interview gave me very little information. Mm. So um, one, of, uh, one of his assistants, Don Morgan, who worked with him in the animation studio, uh, I talked to him. Mm-hmm. Don Morgan actually did all of the lettering for the comic strip and so he was aware of the comic strip and gave me a little bit of background about its history and um, and that kind of thing but again couldn't tell me why it why it failed or anything like that and, um, and I talked to his editor uh, from the newspaper syndicate 
um, man, I don't don't remember his name now. It's been <laughs> a while. Um, but uh, but he was telling me, uh, oh Don Michael, uh, check yeah, his editor Don Michael. So I talked to him about it, and uh, I talked to Marion Jones a lot as well because she worked at the studio at the time and she was actually uh, doing a comic strip of her own at the time as well. She was <laughs> writing Louis Cochet. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, yeah. And so she was, I, I, and maybe that's where the connection is. I have to read my book again to remember all these <laughs> that, that is probably how Chuck Jones met the editor in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, going through Chuck Jones's files, I'm just curious: is there a sequel possibly in the works? Not for Crawford, but did he have enough of another unfinished project to do another book for another time? Or no, this is it. Well, um, there is so much material in his archive that you, we could that there could be another two or three books. Wow. It is a whole okay. warehouse full of his artwork. And um, it's just finding the person who wants to do that, because I'm pretty sure his family would be up for it. They were very thrilled when someone took an interest in, in the comic strip. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me tell you, I, there, there is a fourth Ralph Phillips, um, uh, fourth Ralph Phillips cartoon that Chuck Jones was doing before he left that is sitting um, unfinished. I think just uh, rough sketches and some ideas. I don't think it actually got storyboarded or anything. Mm. But that's all in his archives. He's got lots of Mike Maltese's um, storyboards mm-hmm. for Tom and Jerry cartoons. If you are, I, I would love to see a full book on just storyboards, um, especially because <laughs> people don't know much about Mike Maltese. And he's credited as a writer, and people think he writes the scripts, but no, he actually drew all of his stuff as well. And um, yeah, there's 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 just tons of stuff in there. <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, if you go to page 16 in the book, okay. I put a few storyboards that Chuck drew for uh, foamy shaving cream ads. Oh, <laughs> and those are just a few small examples. But there are he did about. I can't remember now, like six or eight of those cartoons and all of the storyboards for those are there. Um, there's so much artwork and promotional stuff and animation cells for the the Wizard of Oz MGM. Um, like is, uh, MGM had this TV series where they would play uh, movies and they put bumpers mm-hmm. that were Wizard of Oz themes um, to bring in the commercials and stuff. That Chuck Jones did, and there's so much artwork com- um, uh, with, with those in, in the archives. Um, yeah, uh, if someone wanted to take that up, that'd be that'd be fantastic. I think Chuck Jones is a name that will always, uh, um, you know, people will always be interested in. Wow. Now uh, you co-authored the book or edited it with uh, Dean Mullaney. So how did you split the the roles, or did you just uh, both kind of look it over and just? <laughs> Proof each other's work. How did you How did you work together? Well, Dean is the uh, he owns the Library of American Comics. He's a general editor and stuff, okay, and so right. he has to give his stamp of approval on everything. Um, he actually let me call the shots for most of what was in here. Uh, I did all of the writing, and then he edited all of my writing, and then together we made sure that the book was laid out. Um, you know, in a way that made sense, and uh, um, but he, yeah, I, he just kind of let me run with it with what I wanted to include, all of the sketches and thumbnails and everything as well, and uh, 
um, how we wanted it to, to be presented. And then um, you see on the cover there, so designed by Lorraine Turner. Yep. Turner. Yep. Lorraine Turner is the one who uh, designed this whole book and made it look so beautiful. Ah. Uh, it, she did a bang-up job in presenting all of this art in a way that is, it makes it look like like an actual, I don't know, like an art book rather than a comic strip book. Because these guys just do, they do a lot of comic strip reprints. Right. But this one is different um, in, the, in just the style in which they, they present it, everything. It's a, it looks more like an like a exhibition catalog in a sense or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, excuse me, what, when you're going through the archives, um, I have like a soft spot for a show that <coughs> did, I'm coughing, sorry, <coughs> excuse me, uh, a soft spot for a show that aired on ABC Saturday mornings for, I believe, two seasons, Curiosity Shop. Um, when you're going through his archives, did you find any or a lot of material in relation to that series, or is that kind of like just gone <laughs> <laughs> there's not much there that I saw but I mean like I said there's a whole warehouse full of it and I only got to see a, a small portion but I did find a few boxes of stuff that had curiosity shop things in it a few animation cells with like Dennis the Menace and uh, Miss Peach and um, Berenstain Bears because they all had little animated segments in that show and right. uh, um, a lot of still photography um, there were some storyboards for some of the sequences that had to do with, um, oh man, I have to remember. I never watched that show myself, so I don't really know. And it's like, I tried to watch it, and no one has any episodes on YouTube or well, anything like you that. You probably never will, because it was, uh, he didn't produce everything himself. It was, uh, he licensed certain things. And in today's climate, where you have to get music rights and rights rights and yeah. everything else like that, you'd probably have like a five minute show, you know, <laughs> at best, because, you know, it was, uh, but you know, I found different pieces and parts that are that I remember were on the show. I was very, very young, and uh, but I know they did Wizard of Iz. You said Dance the Menace, yeah, so they did animated bits, uh, and you can find yeah. a Wizard of Id cartoon on on YouTube. And Dennis, uh, I've seen some cells, uh, and I think some footage because they used that segment later on this uh, TV special called Fabulous Funnies, so um, it got circulated around a little bit but yeah, it was, you know it'll never be the full episodes again which is unfortunate, and I've never seen any, you know, I talked to collectors do you have a full episode of it? No (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, somebody's got to have some taped off the TV at some point, uh, somewhere in the world yeah. Just a matter of time. Now, now he had a lot of puppets. Yeah. He had a lot of puppets on that show. Was that in the archives? Um, I don't think that any of those were. Um, but I mean, that's a question for for the people who worked there because okay. I uh, I didn't. They didn't. Uh, they only let me. They only gave me access to a little little bit of the the actual warehouse. Well, how how um, big how big is this else. how big is this warehouse? I guess that's the next question. I mean, is it so big that it's like you could just do you know books and projects about Chuck Jones for days or what? <laughs> I mean, you said three well, more books, which is you know if it's like this one, that's quite a bit of stuff right there. There, there is now. I the warehouse is 
it is like, you know, you drive a forklift through a warehouse kind of warehouse, right? But, I mean, they also deal with their own, um, their own, they have their own business with their own artwork and, repro- sorry, reproducing his own cells and, and paintings, and they have to deal with Dr. Seuss's estate as well, so they have a lot of his uh, stuff in there also. Oh. Um, just the stuff that they, they, they sell and they deal with the reproductions and such. But, um... There's one room that's like, uh, I couldn't tell you how big it is. Um, it's a, I don't know, a decent sized room that just is full of shelves with boxes. And um, I was, that's the room that I, is this a smaller room inside the warehouse? And that's where I was in. And in, in just in that room was uh, uh, a wealth of material dating back to early Looney Tunes days that he was working. Wow. Um, and all of, like, majority of it, I think, was his own Tower 12 stuff, because that's, that's stuff that he got to keep for the most part after after all of that shut down. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, it's, a, it's a cool place just to kind of go <laughs> and, uh, and be a part of. <laughs> well, it's amazing you kept it all, because some people, they, uh, you know, I've done interviews, like I did my uh, Total Television book where I was interviewing the guys that did underdog and things like that and they go oh yeah that, a lot of that got tossed out and I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it is it is quite amazing that it survived all these years and um, I think I don't know he must have been a pack rat because yeah. all of that stuff like all of these drawings and sketches a lot of it's just like why on earth would you keep this stuff um, yeah, in the moment you would say that and then thank goodness he didn't um, but yeah, after after um, six months of doing a comic strip that never went anywhere, you're actually going to take the time and space to store these strips. And he, he actually worked really, really large. The originals of these comic strips were probably about I don't know three feet wide. Wow, <laughs> way bigger than any other comic strip artist usually works. Uh, so <laughs> and so the, he, they they were all in these. Um, big file cabinets where you have, you know, the, the drawers that you pull out. Oh, the big flat the drawers. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Flat there. Yeah, exactly. They're all, they were all in there. Hmm. Um, because <laughs> you couldn't fit them just in a regular box or anything like that. Wow. Um, did he d- attempt any other comic strips or just this one or? Um... Not that I know of. I think this was the only one, at least this is the only one that, that I could find in the archives. Um, I don't think he's touched comic strips again. I don't think it was a real interest of his. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I get the impression also that Chuck Jones kind of, um, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he, he, he was never satisfied. It was just kind of sit still. He always had to be busy or moving on to the next thing. Yeah. And the comic strip was kind of just the next thing. And he did that for a bit. Maybe he lost interest and moved on to the next thing after that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't think he went back to comic strips. Yeah. Well, going by the timeline, I think shortly, well, maybe it was in production, wasn't he working on uh, a sequel to Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, and that might have suddenly taken his time away from it <laughs> at that point? Yeah, and he certainly had stuff that was uh, still going on. Um, uh, I think he was working on... Um, what was it? The King, uh, King, um, Connecticut Rabbit and King Arthur's Court oh, yeah. was probably in production around that time as well. Yeah, and um, there's a few shorts made, like they did a 
Bugs Bunny Christmas show that I think was part Chuck Jones, part to Patty Freeling, and they combined their efforts and things like that. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I guess the the, the Looney Tunes resurgence kind of came around that time, so they uh, you know all got busy doing that again. But you know, it is kind of interesting yep. of what would happen if this had taken off. If you know, suddenly Crawford was just like a big hit, um, but. Right. Well, yeah, because if he was spending all, all of his time doing this, maybe he would have farmed out the chores um, to somebody else. Maybe he would have got some other people to do the artwork. Um, or maybe he would have moved more into this area. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, he also did the, there is that trading card set, um, the baseball one, oh, yeah. all of the characters, which is, so I mean, he, he didn't shy away from doing more sort of just static print um, illustration like that, um, but I, he stuck stuck with animation. I think that was his biggest love, though. So now there was never any. I mean, I, I think you've already answered, but I'll just double check. <laughs> uh, there was never any uh, thought or consideration for Chuck to do a comic strip, say on the Roadrunner or Bugs Bunny or any Looney Tunes, right? Uh, it was always just, in this case, his own creation. Is that what? Is that correct? Yeah, that's from what I can tell. Yes, because <laughs> um, there certainly there were you know Bugs Bunny comic strips. Right. They were always farmed out to, um, was it uh, uh, Robert McKinson's company that did those, uh, I think? For a time, yeah. Um, probably around the time that this Crawford strip appeared, uh, it was an artist named Lee Holly who recently passed away. He uh, uh, worked on Dennis the Menace for a while, and then he had his own strip for about 20 years called Ponytail. So, um, but he did yeah. work. He did work in uh, Frizz Freeling's unit, and I think he did work for Chuck Jones too a little bit at Looney Tunes in the late fifties. So, I mean, he was w- well versed in the uh, Looney Tunes, and you know, he had the assignment uh, in the mid to late seventies for the comic books and the comics, the Bugs Bunny comic strip, and so he drew the dailies for a few years there and then later on just retired yeah. so and then other, I've seen other hands draw it uh, later on but I don't have all the names off the top of my head but it's just kind of curious right. if, if Chuck was really ambitious would he say uh, you know let me put my stamp on a, a Roadrunner Coyote comic strip or something but I guess he never really <laughs> felt that way about it I don't know yeah I don't know I don't. I guess not. Um, or maybe, maybe he wanted to, and he was never given the opportunity. But the comics are just based on how he approached Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that would have been something that was on his radar, really, at the time. Um, there are a couple of references to Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny in the comic strip in Crawford and Morgan. Yeah. Um, you have to go through and find there. Well, even on the back cover, I have the back cover is beep 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 beep. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. yeah the that one. was either Roadrunner, the world's fastest moped. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and that probably is why you know I had the question because it's just sitting right here, and I said beep beep, and I go, how come we never did a Roadrunner comic strip <laughs> anyway? Um, no, right? Uh, is this your only book, or did you work on any other books for the Library of American Comics? Uh, I kind of thought you were affiliated more with them and in, in with other projects as well, not just this one. Yeah, actually, I am in the middle of a series of For Better or For Worse reprints right now. 
Okay. Um, and that's a, that's a more modern comic strip from the you know, 80s and 90s. Right. Uh, and it's, I'm, I'm Canadian. I live in Vancouver. And so and Lynn Johnston, the cartoonist who did For Better or For Worse, is Canadian as well. So this strip is um, very loved in Canada. It's kind of like the... the I guess the most loved Canadian comic strip, <laughs> I guess you could say, but it's huge also, like all over the world, the United States as well. Right. Um, I read it when I was a kid. I took those those books out from the library all the time, and the the draw with uh, with for better or for worse is that she aged all of her characters in real time. She, she did the comic strip for thirty years, and by and the kids at the very beginning were. Um, you know, Elizabeth was just learning to walk, and Michael was a couple years older. And then when they, when the strip ends, um, the uh, Elizabeth is getting married, and Michael has a couple of kids already. Like there's actual thirty years of real time growth mm. in these characters. Right. And uh, and I and Lynn Johnson just moved to Vancouver a year ago, and so or a couple of years ago at this point, I think. Yeah, and. Um, and so when I found out she was moving to town, like I got to meet her, and okay. I really want to reprint her comic strip because her syndicate is owned by Andrews McNeil. Andrews McNeil is not interested in publishing comic strip books anymore, even oh, though they okay. own a newspaper syndicate. And so all of these people who have excellent comic strips, like Luann and stuff, like they they don't they don't put out these collections anymore. In fact, they don't even reprint the old stuff. They they now do manufacture on demand. If you want to buy an old for better for worse collection, you can order one through them, and they'll just print it up when when it comes. So you, you won't find these books in bookstores anymore. But so I took this to Dean and I said, Dean, Lynn Johnson would be interested in doing for better for worse. Do you want to do it as well? And he said, Absolutely, I do. Okay. Uh, let's do it and let's give it you know the the gold star treatment. So we have really nice hardcover for better or for worse books, and they are collecting about three years, in some cases three and a half years at a time, in one collection. Mm-hmm. And we're going to publish all thirty book, or, sorry, all thirty years in nine books, oh, dedicating wow. three books per decade. So um, I'm just in the process of working on volume three right now. Volume two came out back in July. Okay. And that'll be all of the '80s, and um, and we are um, we're putting all of these um, we're putting all of this, these strips back in order because all of the old for better for worse books that were published and there are lots of them. Yeah, they 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 kind of played with the order. They rearranged strips if they needed to. Um, Lynn, if she didn't like some of the strips, she wouldn't add them to the collections and. The Sundays, a lot of the early books didn't include the Sundays, and when they did, they weren't in color. It wasn't until um, the, the last few of the later books when the Sundays were in color. And then when uh, when Lynn retired from doing the strip, the syndicate started rerunning the strips from the beginning, and so she would start to make little alterations. She would play with the order of the strips again, um, <laughs> fix the continuity errors, she would update some of the language. You know, if there's a reference to Cheryl Ladd, she just switched that for a more contemporary um, movie star. Um, you know, that that kind of stuff. Wow. And and she also hired somebody to recolor all of the 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 comic strips, all the Sunday strips, because 
um, you know, back when she did this in the 80s, she was limited to her 64 colors. Um, and now we don't have those limitations. So she recolored all of the Sundays with modern coloring techniques. And so when I pitched this to her, I said, I want to put all of these strips back in order. I want to date them all uh, so that we know that they're in order. I want to put in all of the ones, even the ones that you didn't like. I want to put all of them in here. And I want to restore all of the color back to the way they were when they originally were printed in the newspapers so that people really get a sense of what this comic strip was like when people were reading it for the first time in the 80s. And she's like, well, I guess that's okay. Oh. <laughs> she wasn't there, you know, because um, <laughs> if she's not proud of it, why does she want it out there? Right. But uh, I managed to talk her into it. Um, I think she saw the value of, of um, making this available like this. Uh, because she has the collections where she had where the with the new coloring jobs and she has the collection with the stuff the reordering whatever the way she wanted it mm -hmm. but this is more for historical value right and uh, and I'm very happy with the way the first two volumes have come out um, the first printing sold out really fast mm -hmm. um, of the first volume which is really good and and the second volume came out really well also and um, like I said I'm in the middle of getting volume three together and that one should be coming out i think in april mm -hmm. and then we'll just have to keep on going until all nine volumes are out <laughs> well you said a whole mouthful there that uh uh, made me think of a lot of different questions. Uh, just so I'll just kind of go from what you were talking about, different things. Sure. So we'll probably go different yeah. directions. Um, well, obviously it was a, uh, a popular ship in the United States. Um, I knew she was from Canada, but I mean, is it just because she's Canadian that it actually uh, was really popular there, or is it just popular on its own merits? And she just happened to be Canadian. I didn't know if that was. I've seen ones like that, and I, I guess as an American or whatever, <laughs> I never really thought about one or the other. I just said, oh, okay, you know, but I kind of accept a lot of things. Dogs flying on houses, uh, battling red barons, you know, and things <laughs> like that. So, uh, uh, but, you know, I have to admit, I liked her strip, but I never read it so meticulously. So, I mean, you know, it just kind of was like, but I did know the characters aged. I said, hey, this is like Gasoline Alley, you know, it's like. Exactly, so, yeah, it is like that. Um, except she, nowadays, like, Walt Wallet is like 120 years old and he's right. still alive. Right. <laughs> and, the, and the strip is still going on today. But in, for better or for worse, um, she treated these like real people. So as they aged and as they got to an appropriate age when they should die, the characters did die. Yeah. And that's just, um, that's something that added to the, the drama of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, she's really funny, so there's like the humor in the strip is great. Mm -hmm. And she treats things sort of like a gag a day, but with an overarching story that carries on. And if, um, I really think that these collections 
are a great way to read the story because you don't have to wait a day to find out what happens next. Right. Um, you can plow through three years <laughs> of these characters' lives in um, a fairly short amount of time, and it's, it's a blast. Is it truly autobiographical or kind of pseudo-autobiographical? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, she yeah. had kids. I know the basic story of her life, you know, that she had kids and they grew up, so obviously she had inspiration for that. But, I mean, how accurate was it? Um, especially in the early years, it was quite accurate. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and the fact, like, the, the the dad, John, in the strip was a, a dental um, hygienist. And, um, and or sorry, just a dentist. And, um, and uh, her husband was a dentist. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. And so a lot of the gags and the strips were taken straight out of her own kid's mouth. <laughs> and there's a, there's a storyline that's coming up in Volume 3. It's going to be at the beginning of Volume 3, where her husband and her brother go off on a little fishing trip, and they're both capsizes, and they get stuck on an island and uh, have to spend a few days there while Coast Guard searches for them. And that story actually happens in real life. <laughs> to her husband and her brother, oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. it's like it's those kind of things. Yeah, her, her, the brother in the strip is a musician, plays the trumpet. That's like her brother in real life is a musician and plays the trumpet. Um, it's once you get to the '90s when she was a lot more sensitive about how her kids are being portrayed um, and how they are how. Because uh, especially as the strip grew and it grew in popularity to the point where she's known across the nation, across the continent, and even overseas. Um, she wants to distance her own kids uh, with the kids that are in the strip. So you, there are, they go in much different directions. So um, the, the career paths that her, the kids in the strip do are not the same as the career paths that her actual children do. Oh. And then, of course, she added a third child into the mix in the 90s named April. Mm-hmm. And she never had a third kid herself. So okay. that's that's obviously not not true to life. Okay, so it got s- slightly more fictionalized as you went along. Um, yeah. Now, I, I, I know she retired and stopped the strip, but didn't she do the strip for a time? Maybe it, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't she do a strip for a time before she completely uh, quit? Uh, that she yeah. kind of redrew or filled in the blanks on older strips. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, there's something that yeah, she was so doing near the end. Okay. Go ahead. There's a it, it, there's a weird transition. As she was, um, there was a point where she was sort of semi-retiring, yeah. and so she was continuing to do the story. But then there would be a point where, um, where Michael would be talking to his his, uh, his children or his daughter, and his daughter would say, "Tell me about when you were a kid." <laughs> and so Michael would talk to talk to her about uh, when he was a kid, and then it would go into two weeks of re- repeats. Okay. Some of the earliest comic strips, and then we then after the two weeks, it would go back into the story. And she spent a couple more weeks developing this, the characters or whatever, and telling new stories. And then they would revisit old strips again, and they, they kind of did that. <laughs> and so then, um, and then at a point, she stopped the story, the ongoing story, and the repeats continued. Um, but then she, yeah, like you said, she started putting in new strips, but tried to emulate her style back from 1979 (laughs) 
and and uh, put in new gags and flesh out some of the characters and fix some of the continuity issues and, and that kind of thing. And eventually those ones that she drew got fewer and fewer until she just, it was it's just straight reprints now. Okay. Um, she still draws the, the odd strip here and there, it, like uh, <laughs> if Easter... If Easter in 1983 was on a Sunday, but now it's being reprinted in 2018, and it's on a Tuesday. No, I mean Easter is a bad example. Easter is always on a Sunday. Um, Valentine's Day. If Valentine's Day is on a different day, she'll draw a new strip to uh, stick in there. Huh. Um, and <laughs> and she she's still updating things too because there is one strip that came up just recently for Father's Day where the punchline was something like <laughs> Bill Cosby is the um, is like the, the 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 father figure that everyone strives for or something like that. I I don't remember what the punchline is, but it included Bill Cosby. Now, these days we're not gonna use Bill Cosby as <laughs> the example of, of fatherhood. Right. <laughs> so she she changed the, the punchline to that gag. Um, out of necessity, I think. <laughs> so there's things like that that still happen. <laughs> so that's kind of bizarre. I, you know, forgive me if you're talking to Lynn, but and I met her once. She's a very nice lady. But it's like, is it just she can't let go, or she just wants to just fill in the blanks, or what? It's just kind of weird that she doesn't do a clean. I'm done. I did this 30 years. On to other things, or is she just like to have her toe in the well, water? <laughs> Yeah, she does it now. Um, now most of it, um, the business is run by her daughter, mm -hmm. and I think it's the daughter who keeps track of uh, what needs to be changed and that kind of stuff. And so she'll bring those things to Lynn, uh, like so, like like the Bill Cosby thing. It's like obviously we can't print this. <laughs> what should we do? She'll, she'll bring it to Lynn to come up with a new gag for it. Um, or if it's like you know, like I said, Valentine's Day falls on a different day. Um, Lynn doesn't keep track of that so Katie will take it to Lynn and say um, I need you to draw me a new strip for this day and so she'll do it uh, she, she has retired Okay. she doesn't She doesn't do she's moved on to other things the comic strip is being run by the syndicate and by her by the company that's run by her daughter okay. so it was just a, I, I don't remember how long it was that she was doing those she calls them I think she calls them new runs uh -huh. They're not reruns because they're new, but they're in the old style. Uh, she was doing that for a couple of years and then phased that out and actually just stepped back. So are you away from it. Is the eventual plan to reprint those two in the final volumes? Yes. Okay. Now, that was a big question when we, <laughs> when we first came up with that. And, like, do we put those at the beginning? Because they're part of the story that's at the beginning. Yeah. But I was adamant when I said I want this to be like people experienced it in 1979 so I don't want any of those new ones at the beginning here so um, we'll put them at the end we'll, we will include them because uh, we want to include every strip yeah. but we'll include them chronologically I think you did the best thing because <laughs> to me it's kind of like when George Lucas messes with Star Wars it's like I want to see <laughs> Star Wars how it was in 1977 I mean it's fine if you messed with it later and yeah you updated it but I want to see the original one as it came out originally you know and then you know you can see what you did with it later you know um, yeah 
Yeah, I know. I know you said that you convinced her to put strips she didn't like back into it. But did you have any real major pushback, or is she pretty much accommodating with it all? You know what? Uh, I got no. I got. I got no real pushback okay. other than the, the just the occasional. I need to think about that kind of at the beginning. She's she's been great. She okay. has been completely hands off with these books. Mm-hmm. She's letting us. She's trusting us to do uh, <laughs> what we want to do. And of course, we we before it goes to print, we give her everything so that she can uh, you know check everything and and, um, and her daughter checks everything as well. Uh, to make sure that that everything's in order or there's no disinformation or whatever, that kind of stuff. Um, we definitely don't want to cut her out of the process. And, um, but at the same time, um, she has been very gracious in letting us take control and, and running with it. And so we doing, we're doing our best to provide something that uh, I think she, uh, that is respectful to her and to the, the book, even stuff that she's not as proud of. <laughs> Um, we are, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, um, we're, it, it, I, I'm really, really happy with the way that they're turning out. Okay. Because I, I, I just curious. One wonders what uh, if Charles Schultz lived ten years later and they started putting out the complete peanuts, if he would have been so yeah. accommodating to the. Because I know originally, like two years of strips, like in the early fifties, never saw reprint until they did that series. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, he just really was down on those early strips, and so you know, I could kind of see any other artist kind of cringing on the early years sometimes it's like the characters weren't drawn the right way <laughs> or whatever <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well and I can understand that I mean who likes to to look back at some of the stuff that they did when they were first starting out every every artist is like that right um, but at the same time you know if this were 10 years ago even maybe she wouldn't have been as on board but I think she's just at the point where she's like you know let, let people have what what they want and you know the, the last few books that Andrews McNeil published included all of those strips all of those new runs in like inserted into the story mm-hmm. so if people want to read it that way those books are available also yeah yeah I had gotten a few, I had gotten a few of those, and then when you started this new series, I was like, okay, we're starting again. But I'm sure, and I didn't, you know, know for sure, but I, I figured because it was always tradition that there had been missing strips that you recompiled back and stuck them back in the right spot. So you know, it, yeah. that always kind of baffled me on any uh, any strip. You know, I guess it was for pacing or time or space or whatever. You know that you know certain strips were eliminated, you know, but I never knew that till years later. I was saying, well, they got all these strips. Why are they deleting some? I mean, they can make another book with those strips, you know? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, so, you know, that's why I tend to like uh, what Library of American Comics does overall because, you know, you try to be complete. I mean, there's other publishers too nowadays that try to be complete, but it didn't used to be that way, you know, so... You know, I'm glad there's more yeah. respect for that. There is. There's definitely a push uh, with all of the comic strip reprint companies that are out there now, with you know, Fantagraphics and Drawn and Quarterly and stuff, to to provide all of these like a complete um, unbroken series. Um, and it's it's just wonderful to, to to have that available, and that people are willing to, and wanting um, all of that information. Um, 
this will be in you know in 50 years from now this will be um, a great way to study her work she'll be long gone and this will still be around and we'll be able to look at it and see how her style developed over the years um, to see how her her writing how her joke telling how her timing all of that um, how it developed and uh, and became what it became and that goes for you know Charles Schultz as well like I, I can't believe that we have 50 years of peanuts all collected in books readily available for us at any time we want it's just incredible right <laughs> now uh, can you speak for any of the other Library of American Comics editions at all or no um, yeah, so I do work with them um, on, uh, I manage all of their social media on okay. you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and so I'm well aware and, uh, of all of the books that they're publishing now, okay. so yeah, if you want to talk about any of those, I can okay. probably give you a few words. <laughs> okay, well, th this kind of relates to For Better or For Worse and for other series. Um do, is this for better or for worse is uh, that guaranteed to be published all the way in its entirety or will people get tired of it say after volume 3 or 4 and then it just stops I mean because I have other ones that I know you you're, that uh, have been published that are incomplete which I wish there was a third volume uh, like Family Circus, King Aru and Archie and things like that uh, <laughs> um, so is there a, a a chance of that happening where it wouldn't be complete and it would just stop like in the mid-90s or something? It all depends on the sales. It really does. Okay. Because it's not financially responsible to print books that nobody is buying. Okay. So in the case of King Aru, um, those sales just weren't there for us to continue. And same with Family Circus. Yeah. Family Circus is a hard one because that's like, that's a strip that everyone knows and loves. Yeah. But you only really love it one day at a time. You don't really need a whole book of them, right? <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, since we uh, stopped on that one, it was uh, volume three definitely was solicited, and I was looking forward to it because I had never seen those early strips. And I go, at least repr reprint the rest of the decade, you know. And it's like I don't care if you do them after the '70s because, it, you know, it's just yeah. it's become the butt of a Dilbert joke, you know. It's like so, yeah, yeah. you know. I get that, but you know, in those early yeah. ones, they actually were kind of funny. But also, the dad looked completely different, and I was like, I've never seen this stuff. And so I'm just like, I can't wait for Volume Three. It was solicited, and then it went away, and I was like, I can't believe it, it didn't sell at all, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So. I love Bill Keen's 1950s style. It was so cool. It was just, I, I, he morphed into something that became a little bit more generic, I think. But yeah. that early stuff of Family Circus is just fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I, me personally, because I'm so invested in For Better or For Worse, I am on board for all nine volumes. Yeah, and I expect it will be published. I mean, I you know it's certainly much more popular, than, you know, than Kingaroo. You know, I can totally understand that Kingaroo didn't make it past the second volume. I'm actually shocked that the second volume came out on that one because I bought the first yeah. one. And it was a friend of mine. Oh yeah, volume two came out. I go really, and so I did find that one. Um, but uh, people have asked me about the Archie one. Is like you did uh, Archie volume in the '40s, and then it jumps to the '60s, and it's like 
there's a lot of people who've asked me because I've written an Archie book with Craig Yo uh, about the history of Archie. Yeah. They go, are they ever going to do the other Archies? And I go, I don't know. Maybe they didn't sell. Maybe they don't have access. I don't know. So I'm asking you, what is what is the story on that? <laughs> the, the the Archie books that were published were the volumes where we actually had the materials for it. Okay. Um, so there's no second volume to the 1940 stuff because we don't have um, good enough quality material to print a quality book. Okay. So, so no. if anyone out there does have those, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you do, send me an email at Curtis with a K, Curtis at LOAComics.com, uh, and we'd love to see what your collection looks like because Archie... Uh, Archie's, especially with, you know, the new show and everything like that, um, you know, Archie does, does pretty good. Okay. Uh, on the flip side, even long-running strips like Little Abner, yeah. Little Abner started out strong, and then the sales just got um, fewer and fewer, and we released Volume 9 and had to put a stop to it, so there won't be a Volume 10 of Little Abner, unfortunately. Well, do you think um, what suffered on Little Abner is because Kitchen Sink basically covered the same territory or you know um, that could be that could be I think that uh, but those ones um, I don't know they were formatted differently and yeah. it, it, we, we tried to present it in a different way but you know if you have the material once maybe you don't need it again <laughs> um, but something like uh, Steve Canyon mm-hmm. uh, Steve Canyon is on volume I think it's on volume 9 as well and the sales for that we're, we're looking at that and we're just going one at a time like we'll do another one if the sales are good and the sales continue to be good so we do another volume there's another volume coming out um, early next year okay so that, that but then on the other side we were publishing the Disney comic strips as well and did um, two volumes no three volumes of the uh, Treasury of Classic Tales yeah and the sales just weren't there for us to do volume four Volume four is solicited in the back of the book, yeah. but we're not going to do it, yeah. uh, which was really surprising because I thought these are Disney books. There are so many Disney fans out there; they should be gobbling this stuff up, <laughs> but they weren't. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think that was one of <laughs> the more successful strips that Disney did. I mean, yeah, it ran for a long period of time, but you know, uh, adaptations of live action features sometimes are like, hmm, really, you know. They want more (laughs) Mickey and Donald. I'm not saying that that was a bad idea. Actually, I was looking... That was another one I was looking forward to that... Okay. (laughs) Uh, Are are there any others more like the Archie one where it would be popular, but you just don't have the material? Um, What's... uh, Yeah. So we're in the middle of reprinting all of the Superman comic strips. Mm -hmm. And we we have all the material for... Um, the the Sunday comic strips. In fact, the final volume of the Sunday comic strips will be coming out in 2019, and we will reprint it every um, every Superman Sunday comic strip from the beginning in the the Golden Age all the way through to uh, the 60s when it stops, hmm. which is remarkable. Uh, and we have printed almost all of the uh, the dailies, but there is a period in the 50s that is elusive. We don't have those. Wow. So we are not going to be able to finish printing those books until someone comes forward with their collection. And believe me, Dean's been looking. He's been looking 
all over the place, high and low, talking to collectors, but nobody seems to have clipped the new strips um, and saved them. So and we wow. will publish the book as soon as we get the material, but right now the material is just not there. It's just shocking that, you know... Yeah. And I know it's Superman, right? Well, yeah, because and also, it's not like... Ar- I'm using Archie also. Archie and DC, they never stopped publishing. They never got bought out by anybody else. You know, I mean, I guess Warner owns DC. But, you know, they, they kept publishing all these years. So wouldn't they have kept an archive of something? You know, microfiche or something? You know? <laughs> Seems... Yeah, you think so. Well, I mean... I think you could probably find microfiche, but that is not adequate for reprinting. Oh, okay. um, so it's not. Uh, we need actual tear sheets where we can scan at a really high resolution because microfiche is just so so small and um, it's just not. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't bump up to high resolution very well. Uh, okay. Um, to printing standard. So and of course, the the originals could be anywhere, right? <laughs> If they the original, exist. oh my God, who knows? Yeah, yeah. They are hiding, either hiding somewhere or don't exist anymore. Hmm. But uh, again, if any of you out there know where they are, <laughs> you yeah. And that's why, like, we're we're on the Dick Tracy volume like twenty five or something like that. Yeah. And Little Orphan Annie eighteen, both Chester Golds and Harold Gray's estate have they kept everything. So all of these, those, those books are all being shot from uh, syndicate proof sheets. Oh. Um, and that's why we're doing them. We're doing them all because we have the material. Yeah. And it's beautiful, and it, it looks so great. We're well, not working off of old news, rotting newspaper copies. Oh, wow. Um, but those, those volumes, we are, I think Dean especially, with Dick Tracy and Little Orphan Annie, he's committed I don't even know if it's uh, at the risk of sales. He's committed to reprinting all of them, and we're so close to the end. There's only about um, four or five more volumes of Dick Tracy. So what year are you in? What, what year are you in, roughly? Um, we just we just entered the 70s. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and Dick Tracy started in 19... 19- 31, I think. 30, 31, yeah. Right? I, I think so, yeah. Um, <laughs> So we, we've done all of them, and uh, and we're very close to the end, and we can we can do it. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Then how far are you on Little Orphan Annie? Then that one is we just entered the fifties, nineteen fifty to fifty one. That book just came out last week, and that volume fifteen. And Harold Gray, I can't remember when he stopped that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I know Dick Tracy didn't Chester Gould stop in 77, wasn't that right? Um, was it 77 or I think, early 80s? I can't remember. It was some, somewhere around there. Yeah. But, oh, no, actually, yeah, it's 77. That kind of makes sense with the number of volumes we have left. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Harold Gray, there's still a little bit more to go. Um, but, like I said, we have all of the material. Mm-hmm. We just have to uh, publish it in a... Um, in a way that uh, makes financial sense. <laughs> so, it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool to see all of these coming to coming close to an end. Now, uh, are there any? Now, is there any series you'd like to do? I mean, I know, like I said before, other publishers. So uh, you go, oh, can't do that because they're doing it or whatever. But you know, is there any you'd like to get? But it's just uh, an iffy proposition, or you just don't have the material. Well, all of the 
think all of the most popular strips have been done now. Yeah. Anything that we would want to publish now would be falling into kind of a little bit more obscure territory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are people actually going to buy this just based on our own recommendation? There will be a few people that are, they'll be out there like, oh, that's a library of American comic books, so I'm going to check it out. Right. But um, these days, I think we've kind of hit all of the big names. Um, oh. The two, the two I would love. I will give my recommendations. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Whether you'll get them or not, but I mean, if you can do the Chuck Jones one, you could do these two. Uh, the Bullwinkle strip <laughs> that uh, Al Kilgore drew. I think it ran for like two years. Yep. And uh, the Richie Rich strip that Warren Kremer drew, which I think ran for a year and a half. <laughs> right. And uh, so that um, I think if you notice with the publishing schedule that Dean is doing now, it's we're leaning more toward the licensed material. Yeah. Um, we can do the Chuck Jones book because the Chuck Jones has the name recognition to sell the book. Right. Uh, and then we're now now we're doing like Spider Man and um, and Superman and Batman and stuff because those characters will sell the books. Yeah. Well, that's why I said. Uh, well, that's why I said Bullwinkle. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't say Doctor exactly. Doctor Smock, which I would love to have a collection of that, but nobody wants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I could see doing that, or even like you know, Library of American Comics is uh, distributed um, by IDW, and IDW has the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles license, and there is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic strip. So that could be in the future. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Those kind of things. Um, are, are all definite possibilities because they have a more commercial viability than yet Dr. Smuck. Myself, personally, there is a fantastic strip that I love by Frank Tashlin called Van Boring <laughs> and that he did in the 30s. And I discovered this strip um, just by accident, mm -hmm. uh, reading through one of Tashlin's uh, books. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's so good. His cartooning is just fantastic. And he did the strip for uh, about three years. Yeah. It was um, just a Monday to Friday, no, a Monday to Saturday strip. And um, and I searched the uh, searched all these different microfilm uh, archives for the strips, and I put them all up on a Facebook page. If you search for Van Boring on Facebook, you can see the entire run of them up there. Hmm. And I would love to see that published, but nobody's going to buy it. <laughs> there will be very few people who buy it. Frank Tashlin, even his name, is not going to sell a lot of copies of that. <laughs> but I, I would love to see it done. Right. And there's one other one I was just going to mention. It just slipped my mind already, so I'll have to come back to it. Uh, but... Uh, Hmm. Let's see. Oh, I know what it was. I, it came back uh, because it's right on the spine of my book in front of me. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I was doing my pocket full of Dennis the Menace book, um, I was talking to Scott Ketchum, who is one of Frank, uh, excuse me, Hank Ketchum's sons, who actually works on the strip now, and he handles the licensing and everything. And uh, he said, you know, yeah, Fantagraphics is doing the daily books, and they only did six of them, and then they stopped, even though they were going to carry on all the way into the 90s when Hank uh, retired. And there was never a book to this day that has any Dennis Sunday strips. Now, granted, Hank Ketchum rarely drew the Sundays, 
but Scott was kind of interested, you know, in some sort of compilation that way of the Sundays or carrying on the dailies. Would you ever consider something like that? Or if you said, oh, if it didn't do that well with fanographics, we're not going to take a stab at it. Something like that. Well, there's definitely um, some research to, to go into that. Why did Fantagraphics stop the ones that they did? Yeah. Uh, was it because people weren't buying them? Because if people weren't buying them from them, people aren't going to buy them from us either. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and that would be great. I mean, I'd love to see Dennis the Menace. I don't get to call any of those shots. So that Dean gets to make all of those decisions as to, you know, what gets published and not. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to see, especially early Dennis the Menace Sundays would be fantastic. Yeah. Because I loved Hank Ketchum's style back then. It was so great. Now, on the Sundays, uh, the story was uh, Ketchum did it for about six months, and then he handed it over to Al Weissman, and Weissman did the comic books everybody loves. So Weissman uh, did the strip for uh, the Sundays only for about six years, and then Lee Holly took over from that, same Lee Holly, and then uh, different hands did over the years. And my suggestion was to do, like, a best of that had, like, a sampling of each artist but you know if one just wanted to do the Al Weissman years even then you know that would just be the 50s and I think there would be an audience for that but you know (laughs) and apparently Scott Ketchum does have access to all that stuff it's just that you know needs a publisher (laughs) so anyway I don't know (laughs) if you want his contact I can give you a contact offline but anyway so (laughs) okay um but anyway, I was just kind of curious how that works, you know, what, you know, is, you know, and you answered it well, because it's like, okay, you know, I wasn't sure about the Archie thing, if it was just bad sales, which seems weird, because there's so many Archie books, how could this not sell? And then you said, well, no strips, and I go, ah, got it, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to have um, a good, decent quality uh, of material, and, and also, Dean, the, the company is really small. Um, Library of American Comics is only Dean and Lorraine doing all of the work with me working on the For Better, For Worse books. Hmm. And then another associate editor, Bruce Canwell, who does a lot of the writing and um, and uh, editing and stuff like that, too. But that's it. So the, uh, the amount of books that they pump out... Uh, when it's really just the two of them doing it, Dean and Lorraine, it's just, it's incredible. So, there's a, if something has to be put on the schedule, they have to make sure that they have time for it as well. So, if they have a batch of Archie's, um, Archie Sunday strips, but like all of the colors are off register because it's a newspaper printing and stuff <laughs> like that, that takes an incredible amount of work to actually make it usable. And their time is valuable, so... They, they need to be able to find the material that's going to uh, not create too much of a headache for them. Right. Now, how does IDW fit into all this? Are they just the publisher? Do they have any say or uh, financial input or uh, even people input, if if need be? Or Yeah, well, I mean, they, they do have financial um, backing uh, mm-hmm. to all of the books. And um, and so Dean works with them closely to make sure that uh, the books that you know that his schedule works with IDW's schedule, um, and that IDW is okay with uh, with the amount of stuff. So like if something's not selling, IDW gets the report and says to Dean, you know, um, you're gonna have to take a look at this. 
and take it and uh, they have to take all that into consideration. So <laughs> no more families you know, this way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, it, yeah, um, and especially you know if they are the ones who are um, who are they're technically publishing the books <laughs> because they are the publishing house. They're they're the, distrib- the distributors and stuff. So um, they they if it's not going to work out for them, they don't want to have warehouses full of our books just sitting there not doing anything, right? The material has to, the okay. product has to move. Yeah, I was just um, curious how that worked yeah, because... Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you, it's basically an imprint. Got it. Okay. Um, so, it, yeah, it's like your Craig P.O. is in the same Right, place. right, and I was going to ask about that, so... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep, yeah, and they, but, but IDW is fairly hands-off at the same time. I mean, they... They they know Dean and they trust Dean, so you know they'll go give the green light to projects, and then Dean can do whatever he wants with it as well. They they work really well together. All right. Well, um, let's see. Uh, I guess this is the for better or for worse is really what's taking your time nowadays. But are there any other projects you're working on or plan to work on in the future? Well, I don't, uh, for better or for worse, I don't think I can handle at the moment more than one book series, so I'm going to stick with this one for now, um, and we'll see what happens after this one is done. I would like to keep on working. Um, oh, you know, a comic strip that I would really love to do is, it's another contemporary strip. It's, um, it's Robot Man. Do you know that one? I do, it's yeah. called Monty. I didn't know how long it lasted, but, uh... It's it's still going to this day. It's it is okay. I never see it anymore, so I don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the the syndication is pretty low on it now. But it's um, I loved it back in its day when Robot Man was the original character, and that strip has such an interesting beginning because Robot Man was created by a greeting card company who wanted to do um, merchandise. Hmm. And so they, they created stuffed animals, they did an animated TV special, they had kids' books, board games, whatever, and they had uh, a comic strip to go along with it. So they hired this guy, Genetics, to do a comic strip, and um, and then the company, I don't know if the company folded or if they just didn't do anything with Robot Man, but that whole thing just went away. Robot Man went away, <laughs> but Genetics was able to gain control of the character in the strip so he did it and he went in his own direction and it has a very irreverent offbeat humor that sort of a lot of it's kind of a little Monty Python-ish and um, like he puts in a lot of pop culture references and and it's just, it's, I found it really funny in the 80s it mm-hmm. kind of reflected that I guess Generation X kind of thinking as well mm-hmm. and then um, and in the 90s he wrote out the um, the robot character because he says he never really liked that character and introduced this new guy named Monty and that's where the strip is today but I would love to publish the, the robot man years so I'm going to see if I can convince Dean to do that after uh, the better force I don't know if that will sell it probably won't but <laughs> who knows um, yeah right up there with Kangaroo okay <laughs> anyway yeah exactly <laughs> um but I, I can give a plug. So I have another podcast um, that I do. It's called the Epic Marvel Podcast, and I uh, just talk about the little chunks of Marvel history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
classic Marvel. I don't usually dip any newer than 2000, so I talk about, you know, the 60s to through the 90s, mm -hmm. um, the different characters, and I do a lot of interviews, and I, so I contact a lot of comic creators, the artists and writers and editors of Marvel Comics over the years, and, uh, and, and interview them about their work, and so people can check that out if they're interested in that kind of thing. That's a side project for me. Very good. Any 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 other things to plug or websites or uh, ways to contact you or? <laughs> uh, well, I also do a library of American comics podcast as well. You can see that on our website, or you can find it on iTunes. Um, I do that with Dean, and we give a little bit of behind the scenes on the different books. And people are free to write in and ask questions, and Dean is very open to answering people's questions. Um, so, Mark, if you want to ask more, more archy questions and that kind of thing, <laughs> you can send me questions, and I will address them on a future episode of our podcast. <laughs> and bug them about... <laughs> print just one copy of Family Circus Volume 3, so my... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway. just Mark. Just my own yeah, personal well, copy, thank we're, you. We're starting to think about um, what, how to get material out um, digitally. Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and what's, uh, what's a good method and market for that because if we can cut out the actual printing costs mm -hmm. and just make, because we have this material, maybe people would buy Family Circus Volume 3 as a digital book rather than a physical book. Yeah, I might. <laughs> I mean, I prefer it to be a hardback, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> anyway, but. So would we, of course, absolutely. But you know, if, that, if people aren't going to buy it, then... <laughs> <laughs> Is it better to have it released digitally than not at all? I don't know. Right. We'll see. Okay. All right. Um, I guess that's all the questions I have. We, you know, we went all over the map. Uh, do you have anything else to say or anything else to plug at this time? <laughs> no. I mean, people can uh, email me if you want. At, I, I said this before. It's Curtis with a K at LOAComics.com. Right. And I'd be happy to chat about these books or any others. Um for Better or For Worse is coming up on its 40th anniversary in 2019. Uh, so look look out for um, some special events. I'm sure that uh, Lynn and her crew, and hopefully we can be involved in that too, we will um, get some For Better or For Worse special stuff out there. And yeah, keep buying these books. Yes. I'm sure Mark likes to uh, <laughs> plug his books all the time as well, and I'm going to do the same. All right, sounds good, and, and definitely get the Chuck Jones book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is a it's a good one. All right, well, I thank you very much for being my guest today, and uh, you know, have I, I, well, you do Thanksgiving in Canada in, uh, a month ago, right? So, <laughs> oh yeah, that's long gone. Long gone. <laughs> Of course, this won't even air. This won't even air for a couple more weeks, so it'll be old news in in the United States too. But anyway, have a happy holidays. Let's do that. Let's keep it pretty generic. All right, thank you very much. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Curtis Findlay, for being my special guest. Episode number sixteen will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Fun Ideas Productions, and like I said at the beginning of the show, if everyone listening just contributed $1 a month, that would be a tremendous help to have this podcast continue. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. 
This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.